gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello everybody and welcome to this, the latest episode of ESSR Central here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Podcast Network. I'm your host this week, Stephen Wilson, and as usual here on the Central Show, we're going to go going through all the news and goings on from the latest week in professional wrestling. Uh, but before we get on to that, just your usual bit of housekeeping from us at the podcast, you can get us on all forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. You can subscribe to us if this is your first time listening on any good podcasting site just search for eat sleep suplex retweet where we've got so much great content now going on and not just the central show but our revamped feature shows which we used to do every thursday now on a tuesday the latest one hosted by david campbell is on authority figures in wrestling and if you know david campbell he is the ultimate epitome of authority in his own head uh, and speaking of david campbell he hosts one of our youtube shows as well the conspiracy theory where you can catch him trying to justify his crazy crazy ideas about wrestling uh, as well as quiz showdown we've got another one of that coming up soon in, in the next few weeks so keep an eye out on that on our youtube channel now joining me today to talk about the world of professional wrestling this man claims to know every single member of retribution but unless it's revealed to be farouk headbagger bosch kelly kelly ryan shamrock and bart gunn I don't think he's going to get any lucky anytime soon. It's Alan McLucas, everyone. You don't know them all the time. I'm just saying. I know one. You're convinced one's, You're convinced about one, which we'll talk about in a bit later on. But Have you not seen the picture that eyes don't lie? Well, you can try and justify it to the listeners later on, Alan. But it definitely won't be Headbanger Mosh. I can tell you that for sure. If it's head a mosh, I'll bet my house on it. You don't have a head. I know I don't right now. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in a limbo. Pe- I'm in a limbo period right now. I'm between. <laughs> uh, our next panelist over the last few months of lockdown has filled his room with so much Kleenex he could clean a house. But that's actually just since they announced the G1 climax lineup. He's been that excited about it. It's graphic, Robbie. Everyone. <laughs> How do you know what's going on in my room? This is getting a bit terrifying here. <laughs> the walls have eyes, man. Putting the, cli- put the climax and G1 climax. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And rounding off our panel, it's like a bad smell. You just can't get it away no matter how much you try. His opinions just make you churn. You just make you churn. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I've got the wrong McLeod. It's not Ross. It's not Ross. Oh, right. Sorry. 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 Scratch that. Scott's here, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Since you plugged it earlier on, that is the reigning defending Quiz Showdown champion, by the way. So I'm respect on that name. Thank you very much. Uh Yeah, but you went the first, are you? Doesn't matter how it's the first, it matters is I have it now. But you've always been remembered for losing the first. I have no memory of that. <laughs> he's, he's lucky that he was. He, this all happened during the point of lockdown, whenever they did so many quizzes that they just couldn't remember how many quizzes they did in that one week. So it was just one of. Find many. it on our YouTube channel. You'll find it there. You can indeed. Uh, but that's enough of the plugs on YouTube. It's time to get on to the latest week 
in professional wrestling. And it's something that we talked about on last week's show. Well, I say we talked about, you know, David Campbell butchered the Japanese language uh, <laughs> last weekend. With last week when he talked about it, uh, we're going to talk a bit more based on what we said last week about the, the New Japan G1 climax. And over the last week or so, the odds have came out for the tournament. That uh, was published on Twitter by Super Jcast, so that's a New Japan podcast network. And Grant, obviously, you weren't on last week's show, but you are a resident U Japan nut. Uh, what was your thoughts? But obviously, I didn't speak to you last week. Both on the lineup and the odds that the Super Jcast put up from Unibet. The lineup itself, not really any big surprises. There's no surprise debuts this year, but it just shows you how tight the competition is to get in the G1. But the actual odds, I think we can all tell how happy I was with who was the top runner. We know that I'm a big mark from Sanada, right at the top, mm. where he should be. Mm. Not Santana. <laughs> God, from last week. Not... <laughs> That's brutal. What I loved about uh, that last week from Campbell is that uh, Ryan was talking about the guitarist, but Campbell, he was right in there with the proud and powerful. <laughs> Santana and Ortiz. Uh, un- un- unreal. Un- unreal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, Scott, you were obviously you were on the show last week, and you obviously gave your thoughts along with Sarah uh, doing the podcast proud uh, <laughs> after Campbell was butchering off the the, the roster. Uh, looking at these odds, as Grant said, um, he was very happy as um, Sanada. He's the favourite from Unibet at two to one, followed by my favourite Japanese wrestler Okada and Evil. All caps. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's quite interesting. I think a lot of people have been talking about Sanada uh, as a potential like world champion for a long time. Uh, I still maintain what I said before. As much as we, we'd like to see it happen, Sanada winning G1 would have made a hell of a lot more sense if Evil still had the titles. And it's just, mm. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'd love to see it happen, but weirdly, my uh, favourite for this would probably be like someone like Ishii because I just want to see him finally have that moment or if they want to have a heel win for the first time in a couple of years I think Jay White is a, is a strong bit mm-hmm. Yeah uh, Grant you've been quite high on Jay White in the past uh, not seen too much of him in recent times given the, the whole pandemic situation but if you look at the block of Jay White's in it's a tight block but he's he, he does stand out as a name who you Japan like consistently from that block. Yeah, he's got history with quite a few people in that block. He he has dethroned Okada in the past, and then Okada, well, sir, he didn't dethrone Okada, he dethroned Tanahashi, but Okada beat him to get that title back at Square Madison Square Garden. But you've got a really hard hitting block there Ishii, Suzuki, Takagi. That is some brutal matches for Jay White ahead. I wouldn't be surprised Jay White Sonata final that's what my money's on based on the way the cards are playing out mm-hmm. uh, Alan I will throw to you on that. I know you're not the biggest follower of you Japan but you have mentioned in the past to us that you'd be, you're, be quite keen to catch a bit more of it if you've got a bit more time in your hands uh, have you seen anything since the guys have obviously started talk, talked about the you Japan the G1 climax over the last couple of weeks that interest you any names that kind of Stand out? Do you think that you'd be quite like to see them in this tournament if you had the time? 
Um, well, uh, something else I want to look into more, but I haven't really had the time. But looking at sort of stuff I've seen in social media, Jay White's the name that keeps popping up. Um, I know Sarah's very big on Jay White, and that's her pick. Um, and I kind of, based on what I've seen in social media, again, I don't know that much about New Japan. I'm starting to try and get into it. Jay White would be the one that I'd probably put my money on. But again, I'm not as versed in New Japan like of Scott and uh, Grant here. Mm-hmm. I've seen people describe Jay White as the New Japan version of Barry Corbin. I don't know how harsh that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's more for the wrestling side of things. I think it's just more the the heat type of thing that he gets because he does not uh, Scott uh, Jay White. He does not wrestle a traditional style that you see in New Japan, especially since he took he was, became part of Bullet Club last year. Mm, yeah, I think the the Baron Corbin comparisons are more so in terms of like, the heat that he gets because. Jay White is very effective in his role as as a heel, and I think like the the style that he wrestles with all like, a lot of shenanigans is very much what we're used to over here, rather than what the Japanese fans would be used to. I think that's why he is so hated over there. And I think you need a character like him and amongst uh, like the New Japan roster, he makes something different. And I think the thing with him winning is the fact that he. Lost tonight was part one part of the, uh, the double gold dash. So there's history between the two of them over the IC title, and also in the last year's G1, he looked he got to I think the at least one of the block finals. But he went through his first three matches with losses, and then had to win six in a row in order to get to the final. And then people were like, "Oh, anybody but him!" And then he eventually lost the last hurdle. So I think he would be coming back wanting to avenge that loss because, as I said before, I don't think we've had a heel. One of this tournament for a few years now. Mm, no, not I don't think. Can I think? Uh, not since Omega. Omega, I think. Omega, maybe. maybe Omega was the one I was just thinking. Just over at the time. Yeah, Omega was the name that came to my mind. I was just trying to go through my head to kind of think if there was anybody else since him. Uh, Grant, another thing I've seen since when they announced the lineup, uh, when they announced that Takahashi was going to be in the G1 this year, uh, I was. When I heard that, I was excited until I realised what Takahashi was in it. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll ask you this because you are a big uh, Hiromo fan. With no best of the Super Juniors this year, are you surprised that they've left Hiromo out of this tournament? I'm, I'm not surprised when I look at the full lineup because there isn't actually any juniors in this at all. And Hiromo's story seems to be more focused on the juniors. He's not trying to do what Osprey done where he was trying to bridge the gap between. He's just focused on what he wants to do so not surprised that Hiroma's not in it but the fact that Yujiro is in there that did surprise me because he's not exactly got a stellar win record in the last couple of years it was it was not the sorry. name I expected sorry Scott on you go I was going to say it was also quite surprising because I remember when it was announced and uh, Hiroma's name wasn't there I mean I even speculated with Grant like when Hiroma dropped the junior title to Taiji Shimori is this the beginning of his call up to the heavyweights because he's already mixed up with likes of Evil and Okada in the last couple of months, and then he was announced to be taking part in the tournament for new junior tag champs. So I thought, oh, so they'll probably want him, him and Bushi to win the tag titles. They'll still want him to be part of the juniors. And then they didn't win the tag titles. So the case, so it feels like there's nothing for Hiromo to do the juniors way. And it would be so good to see him mix up with the people in the G1. And yet you've got people like, like you said, Yujiro and as much as they've tried to rebuild him as a credible contender, giving him his first tail Yoshihashi, 
they just look like guys that are in there basically to take take mostly losses. Mm-hmm, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting how this goes with it, uh, over the next few weeks. It's a fast and it's a frantic uh, tournament, the G1. Uh, Grant Scott, obviously the two of you, is the hosts of our East Meets West show. We cover you, Japan, and Japan in general in a lot more detail. Uh, what coverage, just as a cheap plug here, what's your coverage of who's got planned for the tournament over the next few weeks? Uh, I think we probably won't be able to do a full like, breakdown of the G1 until after it's it's concluded, which I think is on the 17th or 18th of October, because uh, it sounds also us getting schedules together. And plus, when you look at the breakdown of, a, of dates for the tournament, there's not that much of a gap between certain days, like we were one, two days max. So like the idea of like getting the show recorded and then uploaded and then not making what we say seem out of date by the time it's people get a chance to listen to it. So we're going to do our best once the tournament's actually concluded to try and summarise a month's worth of wrestling, which is, is not an easy task. 19 shows in just about 30 days. It's an unreal schedule. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to get into you Japan like Alan does, the G1's probably your best time to do it because it's so frantic, it's such a great display of the top stars and it's definitely something I would recommend. Uh, speaking of tournaments, Grant, just before we came on the show, you said to the rest of us that you Japan have got another tournament planned. Yes, they have confirmed the Lions Break Crown Tournament, which will be taking part as, the, as part of their New Japan Strong Brand from America, which is on every Friday. Um, great thing about these shows is that they are nice and sort of short compared to like their main shows. They're only about an hour long, but they've got essentially the plan is that they'll have four first round matchups are going to take place pretty much next week. Then the semi-finals on the first of October and finals on the eighth of October. It's all young lions, so the style of wrestling you'll get is less flashy. It's more basics and fundamentals. These are guys that are going to eventually. The plan would be big big names in the future and it's going to be an interesting because a few guys I've not even really seen myself because LA Dojo guys mm, yeah I didn't see anything before the show came on I didn't really have the time to look into it have they announced names I take it then yep we've got eight names confirmed we have Danny Limelight Barrett Brown Adrian Quest Blake Christian Logan Regal The DKC Jordan Clearwater and Clark Connors I think it was Scott made the comment that Clark Connors looks like Hangman Page's younger brother. He does. Uh, <laughs> Clark Connors and Blake Christian are the two names that stand out to me on that list, just from listening to the names. Uh, the, think... the full brackets are up as well, so they are. It's on the website. I think I wouldn't be surprised if those two are your final. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. Connors, I think, is especially a favourite because I think out of everybody on that list that you read out, He's the one that's had more exposure in New Japan so far, whereas some of the other guys are still fairly new. Uh, so I think he's definitely my favourite, and Blake Christian as well. I've only seen him briefly, and like he was on a, a part of a six-man tag, which had likes of uh, TJP and uh, PJ Black in it, but he still managed to stand out amongst some of those more established names. So I definitely would agree with those two as potential finalists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one to see where they go. Those guys that come through the dojo are very interesting um, names for the future. Uh, and before we move away, actually, from the U Japan segment of this of this show, uh, Alan, I welcome to you in this one. Uh, a big signing for U Japan announced in the last week, uh, last couple of days. 
We've seen him as part of AEW at the start of the year for it. Had a couple of shows. He was in with the Inner Circle. Jeff Cobb is officially signed with U Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, what do you make of that, Yuse? Big, big signing. Um, I'm actually quite a fan of Jeff Cobb. I've seen him obviously here in Glasgow from um, Shug's House Party. I think it's a shame he never really got off to a, a big start in AEW, but I think he will do quite well there. Um, I, I'm not obviously 100% on the style of New Japan, but what I've clips I've seen, it seems to be a lot of grappling moves around it. And Jeff Cobb is just perfect for that, in my opinion. If that is going to be the style, it's going to be there. So I think it's a big name. And also, he's a former Olympian and you know, he is renowned within the wrestling community. So it's a big coup for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grant Cobb, uh, last year and probably this year as well, he's one of those steady hands in the G1 lineup. Yeah, I mean, this this, is, this isn't his first uh, rodeo with New Japan. So he's definitely well suited for the, for the tournament. Um, in fact, it was him that had the. Uh, the match with Osprey back in was it Madison Square Garden last year? They had the, the ROH title, title. Yeah. So Cobb is he moves fast. He's a big hitter. And this is his second entry into the G1 and his second consecutive year. So I'm expecting he could actually be quite a, a solid pick in the A block as well to spoil a few parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Scott, I'll go back to you. This one. Are we? Are you surprised that? Jeff Cobb never actually we not, didn't see much of his from his AEW run. I mean, there's a lot of talk that he kind of used the AEW stuff as leverage with uh, U Japan to kind of get the contract going. But would you like to have seen more of him in AEW? Obviously, the pandemic probably took a lot of that away. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's probably a chance that Jeff Cobb could have got lost in the shuffle in AEW because we have a lot of. Guys who are athletic but are also powerhouses like like some Brian Cage, Lance Archer, Luchasaurus, and Cobb is similar to those guys in that he can throw you about, but he can also do like standing moonsaults. And I think he's probably wanted to wrestle in New Japan more regular for a while. Like they clearly like him. They've put the never title on him very briefly a couple of times. So it's it's good to see that he's finally signed like an actual contract. He's been teasing signing with a. Asia potion for a while. I don't think any, many people would have suspected it would have been New Japan. And like, while you've got your power, quite a few power based, power based guys in New Japan, there's not many people in New Japan like Jeff Cole. So I think he's wanting to go to a place where he'll stand out more. And I think that's probably the best place for that. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see. I'd love to see him do decent in the in the the G1 this year. But you know, it's a very good signing for New Japan. He's a very I think he, would, he fits the bill in there very, very well. And hopefully he does well in the coming months. So good luck to Jeff Cobb. Uh, moving on now, we've got uh, lots of news this week to kind of cover. When, when I was going through my notes and stuff, there was tons of stuff going on. One of the things that stood out to me from a wrestling point of view, one that maybe would take a bit of pleasure in, given what we maybe saw over the course of the year so far, Vince McMahon is out of the Forbes 400 richest Americans. He, Vince McMahon has got a total wealth of $1.8 billion. Yes, just $1.8 billion. But not enough to get him in the top 400 wealthiest Americans. Uh, Scott, I will go back to you on this one. Given what WWE has done over the pandemic in terms of releasing wrestlers and backstage hands... Is there a bit of karma to this that Vince has lost out on a bit of wealth here? 
Jesus, $1.8 billion the poor sod, however well he survive. I think a lot of the the thing with the WWE is I've heard reports that they were meant to be still doing quite well financially despite releasing so many people and despite the pandemic but I think the case of this of Vince and WWE in a case losing money part of it I think has to do with the pandemic and that obviously a big part of WWE's uh, income is from live attendance and they've not had that since like March of this year and also Vince lost quite a lot of money in the XFL as well so you've got to think, take that into consideration as well mm. XFL now on by The Rock <laughs> what a bloody year we've had <laughs> who would have predicted that <laughs> this time last year unbloody believable uh, one of the big things that's a lot stood out as well from this uh, Forbes 400 list we've got uh, Vince obviously with his 1.8 billion wealth coming in with a 7.8 billion wealth is Tony Khan's dad Shahid <laughs> yeah I mean I like that. 7.8 billion like, you know I'm not going to complain at that and I think you can see when you can if you were to try and compare the two as wrestling owners yeah Vince has got more experience and things like that so he's going to be making more money but then Tony's dad does have the Jacksonville Jaguars and the mighty prestigious Fulham Football Club. Fulham, who lost 3-0 to Arsenal on the opening weekend of the Premier League, you know? <laughs> bounce, back bounce up and down, up and down Fulham the way they're going at the moment. Yeah, but I think you're right there. Uh, people would look, people would see that and instantly go, yes, AEW over WWE, but as you've said there, He's got so much other business interests other than wrestling. Yeah, it's it's just like he's got so much more going on than what Vince does. Um, had the XFL taken off, maybe that might have changed Vince's fortunes a bit. But I ain't gonna I ain't gonna bleed my heart out for a bunch of folk with billions. Ah, <laughs> uh, the billionaires club. Nobody's once like we've seen in WCW one time. Uh, or the millionaires club. I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, Alan. Uh, Obviously, I mentioned that that starting thing about what happened in WWE in the summer with the cuts of the roster, cuts of the backstage talent, and also this week, <coughs> reported by PW Insider, we had more jo- uh, staff cuts in WWE, mostly backstage and producers who were released as part of that, and office staff with that one, but some of the names that stood out were, were Stara Stock, who used to wrestle in TNA, as she was Rosita, I can't remember, Sarita, one of the two of them. Uh, not the one that was Zelina Vega. Uh, Mike Rotunda, better known as IRS. And after a 35 year tender with the company, Gerald Briscoe is no longer a staff member of WWE. What's your thoughts? I think they've done the dirty and Briscoe, considering Briscoe really stayed put and helped stabilise and keep a lot of superstars when uh, the Monday Night Wars were going. Um, I think that's pro- personally really poor taste um, I, I don't I've not really read much more into why the others I mean the, the IRS one um, the only one I can think of is the, is unless there's maybe conflict potentially with his sons I don't know maybe favouritism or anything like that maybe something like that I don't know but I just think a guy's got 1.8 billion in his back pocket plus the company you want the wounds is worth billions of dollars. I don't understand why they're necessarily getting rid of these people unless it is for 
I don't know, like a storyline perspective, if it's a financial perspective, I don't see why they're stopping considering this year's been the strongest year they've had for uh, the figures for such a long, long time. So I think it's quite poor taste, to well, be honest. If you look, if you look at it, um, the Thunderdome, that must cost a ton of money to produce that every day, every week, twice a week. That That's not cheap, you know, the amount no, of production that yeah. goes into that. No, so. definitely not. But at the same time, though, you've got this multi-billion-dollar contract with Fox one show a week. You've got, yeah, other shows are getting good ratings as well. They've got good money coming in from that. And you know, the fact that the store is selling the products hand over fist just now, like replica titles are selling out faster than they ever have. There's T-shirts on demand. The wait, there's a massive waiting list. So I don't really understand. Where they're losing money. Yes, I'm not just in the front. They don't want be expensive. It's not going to be expensive. However, they are making money every in every avenue. So for me, I just I just think it's poor takers. Whether or not Vince is just fed up with them and he just wants rid of them, but I just think the Briscoe one is really poor taste. I'm quite shocked at that. It's an interesting one. It's it's a, a hard to kind of point where they could be going. It may just be they want to cut a lot of. Uh, backstage guys they just don't really need as many of them anymore especially with the current pandemic situation they don't have as many hands on the shows you know there's not many backstage producers so obviously Gerald Briscoe legend of the business you know King of the Ring 2000 evening <laughs> out match for the hardcore title match of the year that, on that pay-per-view 100% it wasn't the main event Ross <laughs> it was it was Briscoe Patterson <laughs> I'm going to say that till the day I die um, speaking of talent Grant, I'm going to go to one of the most reliable Twitter sources that I've in the wrestling industry, the WrestleVotes uh, Twitter page, who this week they've actually done a series of tweets actually this week, which I'm, we're going to go through in the show today, but the first of which is they said they could not reveal a name but they're very confident to say that a certain WWE talent has decided not to re-sign with the company when his contract expires it's all, no names mentioned but it's interesting that there's a lot of guys and not getting used properly in the company and there's um, a few of them whose contracts apparently are up in 2021 could you see anybody who could you see potentially being that name Ricochet that would be one, one of my first guesses Ricochet is the name that stands out I think Ricochet apparently signed a three year contract in 2018 so his contract should be up at the start of next year because he, he came in with a big massive fanfare and you know I'm a, I was a big fan of his work outside of WWE like he's working like New Japan for example best of super juniors he had some amazing matches with the likes of Kushida um, so to see sort of like he's pretty much almost buried these days uh, I wouldn't blame him for getting frustrated and wanting to go elsewhere so that he can kind of utilise himself again mm -hmm. yeah uh, Scott obviously Ricochet's a one name there another name who's many people annoyed that he's not getting the same amount of TV time and he's had a bit of frustration on social media in recent months, uh, Mustafa Ali, he could be one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he's been having matches, but like on main event, and then like he was on SmackDown, he was off TV so much, but then he was announced that he moved to Raw. Before like I don't even know what brand he was on, uh, but I'd like to kind of throw a name out there as well, uh, being AJ, because I believe AJ like started 2019, he signed a new deal, and he said that this would probably be his last kind of contract and. Gales and Anderson have stated that they'd like to AJ join them on the Indies or maybe Impact when his contract runs out 
because like this uh, like tweet didn't doesn't really say how long the particular person has left on their contract. I think AJ did say like the slip net this recent contract will be my last because I want he wanted to retire in like his early forties so he could spend more time with his family. So even if he did leave WWE, but then had like at least a year run with Carlson Anderson, makes it another little extra bit of money before he retires. Like I could see AJ kind of doing that. I believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think AJ signed like was it a three or a four year deal last year or something like that. I think it was a five year deal. He said he was going to be wrestling. I think he's if be forty five when he did packing it in, and he said that would be him. He signed quite a long term deal. If I remember correctly, I, I don't think it'd be him. Uh, and AJ has been quite open in saying that he wants to. When they did resign their contract in like 2019, so they thought they were safe, but then they got released anyway. Uh, they won't release AJ though. AJ's too big a name to release that type of stuff. And yeah. AJ's been quite vo- he's been quite vocal in the past of saying that he wants to book to uh, be like a scout in WWE. But obviously that was before in recent months he's had all these vocal fallings out with uh, Paul Heyman who he went to SmackDown to get away from and now they've put Heyman back on SmackDown. So that's an interesting one. But uh, Scott, one name who looks certain to be ruled out of that potentially being that is Jeff Hardy who this week announced that he has re-signed with WWE, apparently on a three to five year deal. And one of the most interesting parts of him apparently re-signing, according to an interview he did with BT Sport, is that he's going to be able to use his old theme music from his previous singles run in WWE, and it's going to come back when the live crowds are going up. I've never heard of a wrestler re-signing purely just for music. <laughs> well, you got to get some benefits out of it. Uh, but I, I do think there has been some outcry for that music to come back, and it's really no surprise that he's like resigned. He's also like Matt was for a time loyal to the company, but then also like, frustrations led him to leave AEW. But I don't think we're going to see Jeff go anywhere. He even when he's been doing interviews, maybe he's maybe promoting TNA, would even say, "I want to end my career in WWE." So I think this will probably be his last kind of deal before he eventually. Like hangs up. It's a wonder he's still managing to go, like now, let alone for another three or five years. I could even see him maybe taking a role in the PC once uh, his his time's up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's currently feuding with aforementioned AJ Styles and some homeless guy on SmackDown. So <laughs> it's a big question we do now. Grant Allen, user fond of music, both guitar players. Uh, and you're, and you're, um, do you like the tune? <laughs> Jeff Hardy's theme music. Jeff Hardy's old theme music was banging when he was doing that deal though he should have maybe tried getting a deal struck for Keith Lee's music to come back as well <laughs> <laughs> I am a grand now and it's a good tune um, but it, it does show he's got a bit of power um, you know I don't know maybe he's maybe used a leverage of Matt being in AEW to help him but also shows what the company think of him as well to put on the deal to make sure that they've got to pay for the rights to do it then some other reason then They'll do it. So it shows he's very well sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've not minded. Jeff's work in the recent months has been decent. He made the worst out of a terrible situation with the Sheamus stuff. Uh, don't get me wrong, he's obviously he's now a continental champion on SmackDown, so he could be in for a decent run there. Uh, if they're going to be him, versus him, Zayn and AJ, that could be a fantastic match if they do it right. But we never know. WWE thing is the end is the main, the main point in that one uh, and 
related to the kind of SmackDown brand of things, I'm not sure if it's a SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view, Alan, but uh, WWE, according to Wrestle Observer, they've changed the date of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. It was originally meant to be the 1st of November, and it's now been moved to the 25th of October. Uh, many the speculation, the potential on that move, it might be down something to do with the Thunderdome deal being up at the end of October. Uh, you get any thoughts on the Hell in a Cell change, or you think it's just a subtle change that they've just done on their schedule? Um, well, I can kind of see where they're coming, people are coming from with that, with the, the contract with Thunderdome. And then, however, if I remember rightly, there isn't a pay per view scheduled for October with WWE either. Not that I know of. Like class so, Clash of Champions next and, month. This one. Yeah, they like to have one once a month. So I can see the other reason they probably looked at when the situation with COVID starting to change. You know, there's a lot of changes in regards to social distancing and protocols, whatever. And they've probably went, do you know what? We might be able to fit this in in October. We like to have a one a month sort of thing. The only time obviously that would usually be is about Mania time, whether Mania's in March or April. But. It could just be that they just want to try and see if they can maximise as much paper view income for that month instead of taking a loss. Could be that from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that is the thing you mentioned, Alan, uh, about potential changes going forward. Uh, Scott, the talk is um, of uh, WWE are trying to figure out what to do uh, after the Thunderdome. Uh, they're hoping that they could be able to run. Raw and SmackDown in outdoor locations uh, from November onwards. So, again, it might just be that they want to, as Alan said, it could be they want to maximise the profits, or they might just want to go into November with a fresh slate. Obviously, with because with the Thunderdome stuff, they started the, the, just before SmackDown, just before SummerSlam, and they kind of had a, a TV starting, but it could have started on the pay per view. So maybe if they start the Raw as a fresh, fresh slate after. Hell in a cell, that could be the idea they're going for. Maybe, I think there's, there's more likely that they realise that maybe it wasn't a, a pay per view in October and then having to do Hell in a Cell on like the 1st of November and then have to build then to Survivor Series. Because like, if they didn't move Hell in a Cell, the only big real event in October would have been the NXT TakeOver that they've got scheduled for, I think, the 4th of October. And I, I do believe that their deal with the Amway Centre does have the option for renewal when it comes up. so. Uh, it depends on what they want to do with that deal. I do think Vince has probably been desperate for while to have proper fans like obviously the Thunderdome spine for a while. I think Vince wants to get an actual audience back again. I think if you have like more outdoor venue kind of akin to like what AEW has with with Daily Space, I think they've been lucky with with the fact that they have that at their disposal. And like even some independent shows have been doing kind of outdoor events with limited capacity. So I think the very Feels like like eventually they, sh- they want to at least by the end of the year have like shows in front of actual fans again. Whether or not it's a smart decision, and maybe if they should wait to twenty twenty one is well depends how you feel about it. But I think there's a chance you could maybe renew the deal with the Amway Center because I think it's there's been a lot better feel with the shows since they went to the Amway Center. Like the fact they've actually got pyro in that again, and like even though the noise is piped in, it's still better than. Sitting in front of sitting in front of trainees who are probably told what to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, uh, Grant, you obviously you Japan, they are doing a lot more crowds now. They've they kind of started to trend with the crowds. We've seen with AEW, they're doing these sort of bubble type things where you have a set, you've got your own kind of section with your own 
you know, group of six or however many this 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 state allows. Uh, as I said, the WWE are talking, thinking about outdoor venues. We've seen that in recent weeks in various. Uh, seen it last weekend actually for a wrestling, which we'll talk about later on the show. Uh, also, WWE are probably they're looking at all these options as well, obviously because we've got the Rumble coming up and Survivor Series. Uh, based on all these other events that you've seen, um, do you think? What do you think? WWE should do based on your watching of it. I mean, obviously the Thunderdome stuff is all that kind of crowd stuff, but uh, and we've seen it in UK TV in recent weeks where Britain's Got Talent doing the exact same thing, watching that, doing that in WWE. What do you think they should kind of do when this kind of Amway contract runs out? I mean, I think, I mean, personally, I'm still sort of sceptical in America of them having sort of mass masses of fans um, I know that sounds almost a little bit hypocritical because I watched New Japan put on a stadium show just just a couple of weeks back but based on the sort of difference in their rates for like the coronavirus and that I just think WWE's best bet would be if they can afford to get an outdoor place and copy the AEW model by all means go for it but even with AEW doing it I'm still very sceptical and having people around really I still feel it's too much of a risk and even in the UK, we've got shows starting up as as soon as this weekend. Here, I'm not I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, yeah, what what show is that running again? I'm trying to remember what it was. It's not uh, TNT, Fu- is it? Future Shock's meant to be this weekend, if I remember correctly. <coughs> and TNT's the end of October, and I'm still not fully sold on them having shows here, both for the coronavirus aspect, with the spiking again, and also the speaking out stuff. It's it's still a little bit too soon for me, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, in terms of America, they're kind of. I'm just kind of looking at their figures for the COVID stuff now. It's going down. It's on a downward trend, which is good across the country there. But obviously, uh, well, this year I think you need to kind of take things a bit. You need to kind of watch what you're doing a bit. Thing we we actually we saw what could have happened it all out with the fan and John Moxley. Uh, obviously, Moxley's came out and said they didn't want no fan touching them during this whole pandemic. Uh, but I think. As Scott said, Alan with the Thunderdome, the way they've kind of got it, it builds, it's, it builds a bit of atmosphere to it. I mean, I mentioned Britain's Got Talent, did it? It seems that they've got some sort of atmosphere. So if if, if it keeps staff safe and allows them to run shows still, then why not extend it till the end of the year? Yeah, absolutely. And also, you, when you look at it, you kind of forget sometimes the screens behind the performers. It, it does kind of almost feel like the closest thing. Yeah, it's the closest thing, obviously, that having a live audience. And it it looks the part, it sounds the part. And I totally agree with that. It's far too shouldn't be bringing anything back with the crowds in it. I see what AEW's doing, but I just, considering how bad Florida has been, I wouldn't have brought fans back in this year. Their setup without the fans was perfect to me. And but WWE's done with the Thunderdome worked really, really well and I don't see a reason why not to do it unless this maybe thinking maybe we need to charge to have fans on the screens. But then that's probably going to potentially backfire and that's probably why they're they're really pushing the time to get fans actually into venues. Um I think it's a bad decision all round, because I think if the worst happens and there's an outbreak and it affects performers, the, the safety, the security staff, the, the fans, then WWE will lose money regardless. Um, so I just think it's a bad move. I think, personally, I think from my point of view, 2020 just don't take the chance. 2021, you have, you start looking at you, need to, you probably should you can 
you could probably get away with starting to try and think about options because you'd hope by the end things are going to tail off a bit. But, but I think 2020, just play it safe and go with the Thunderdome and just do what you can, you know. Yeah. If, if they are financially stable, as many reports say, then they don't really need it, you know. Apart the house shows that they were running over the last few years have been hemorrhaging money. So if they're not running them, they just need to pay for talent and pay for production. Saves them a ton. There we go. Um, talking about WWE again and in the Thunderdome, we had uh, obviously two shows this week uh, to talk about. There was obviously there's no NXT for us to talk about this weekend as this week, sorry, as it's getting it's going to be tonight as opposed to the last couple of weeks where it was on Tuesday. Uh, did your brother know it's on Wednesday, uh, Scott? <laughs> I think so. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we had uh, Raw and Smackdown in the last few week, couple of weeks and there's an interesting direction Scott will go into you in this one in terms of the uh, WWE title scene where we had uh, Drew McIntyre versus Keith Lee and according to a lot of rumours the potential plan over the next couple of months is to turn Keith Lee heel and to have him feud with Drew McIntyre over the title they've kind of obviously experimented with this on Raw what was your thoughts on that? Okay, I like the the interaction between Keith and and Drew, and that they're being friends. But obviously, Drew's a bit more serious because also the titles in the mix, and like it feels like they really do need to have at least have at least a title shot for Keith at some point in the next couple of months because you can't like tease. Oh, he may or may not fight uh, Drew if he wins this match. If Randy can't compete, like even doing a triple threat match, I think would be even a big opportunity for Drew, for Keith because he came in and like basically beat the number one contender for the title clean in his first big match so he definitely needs like an opportunity in the main event scene because he you look at him he probably has all the attributes that Vince would want and like a monster heel and like the whole idea of asking everyone to bask in his glory when you really think about it is a heel like gimmick i'm pretty sure it started as a heel thing when for keith lee so i can see why you'd want to do that and also i think he's so like for a big guy so eloquently spoken when he cuts his promos, I think Keith would be able to sell it really well as much as some people out there might think, oh, I can't boo Keith Lee. I think Keith Lee is so talented. You'll find yourself suddenly realising, like, I actually hate Keith Lee now. You can't hate Keith Lee. It's like Brian in, like, 2018. Ah, oh, I can't hate Keith I think they've, they've kind of started, uh, Grant, as you say, a way they could potentially get people to hate Keith Lee by changing his music. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, like the the, the music changed because uh, you guys know I, I don't really watch Raw and SmackDown. I, I've not, I've kind of went off WWE's main product for quite a while, but I followed NXT. Was loving case NXT stuff. Um, so when he came out and they had that awful music, I was like, why? Why do this? Because he is such a talent, and I could see him working as a heel. It's it's definitely you can just change those little bits and his mannerisms to take like the, the kind speaking to be come more arrogant and you could have a heel persona coming out there so him and Drew it, it is a very appealing feud and it's one that I'll, I'll follow the results and everything online that to see where it goes because I, I might watch that one that would be a match that I could possibly see myself looking at mm-hmm. yeah they've got uh, Keith Lee with his get up now he's a channel and he's in a D'Lo Brown recently in the last week or so with that singlet it's, could, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 they're getting there with it they're getting there with it uh, Alan, so he turns you, brings back the chest protector. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Alan, I'll come to you in this next part of, of it because I alluded to it at the start of the show. 
the main event match between these two men was interrupted by Retribution or Roundabout potentially there was about 9 or 10 of them this week even though it's only 5 they see on the screens you have a theory that you've seen online that's convinced you about one member of Retribution yes I put it in our group chat uh, that the Miz is a member obviously they've been teasing it for a while uh, saying not going to say but like <laughs> the fact he's always turning up late he's always dressed in black so I think it's <laughs> it's a good shout he is and also I'm just trying to find the picture that I actually put in the group chat from earlier on today earlier on um, let me just find that it's just actually Ross McLeod he wasn't in Turkey. He was over there recording retribution sketches. <laughs> I didn't realise that would have been a product in Turkey. <laughs> yes, from the for the Love of Wrestling group, I've seen it, and the picture has, and it's without question, it's Mizzy's eyes. Um, and it's the one that cut the promo. Uh, there's some question. I don't. I think I might know who a second one is, just based on their eyes. But Mizzy's definitely. That's definitely magic eyes. See, does the names, the the three certainties for me, and it's been backed up from what I've seen online and what people are saying uh, post wrestling posted about who they their partner is. Dijakovic's the big guy, hundred percent Dijakovic. Uh, yeah. The two women have been very swung swinging in roundabouts over the last few months who they could be, but it's more and more looking like Mia Yim and Mercedes Martinez, the two women. Yeah, Mia Yim's a definite. Martinez, I think, the last couple of weeks I thought about it. I thought to begin with it was probably Vanessa Bourne or Chelsea Green. Not 100% sure. Really concerned I've not where the hell the Chelsea Green is. What the hell are they doing there? Uh, but anyway, that's a different debate. Uh, the big guy in the back, they're saying it's Dio Madden. If it's Dio Madden, it makes sense, given what happened with Brock and him. Last year, some sort of revenge type idea on the company. They just kind of tossed them aside, and obviously the guy who Alan has, is convinced is the Miz. Many people are saying is Shane Ford. <laughs> Somebody else who's been rumored fairly randomly. I think he was under the who'd won because I don't know if he actually be revealed as Mojo, Mojo Rawley. And like I think he was even in part of the big brawl this week on Raw because he was sta- he having to be standing so close to the, like the camera. So the mic picked up what was clearly his voice and that's the issue with a lot of these people from retribution is that their voices are quite distinct like digital which as much as they try to distort it it's obviously him when you see the promos the most recent pro- backstage promo i think it was clear that whoever the, the woman that was talking was probably martinez and i think she kind of makes more sense than me again because wwe twice they were going to sign her and then they didn't and then AEW almost got older and then she finally got signed so the idea of them taking so long before finally giving her the opportunity to be part of the roster, I think could be her motivation as being part of uh, Retribution. Yeah, Martinez, is, she lost to Rhea Ripley last week on NXT, a fantastic cage match main event, very good match between the two of them. They could logically write her off the TV now, go to the main roster, you know, she's a veteran in the business, if she gets a good run it'd be great, you know. I mean, the thing about that last segment of Raw as well, guys, I think it shows two different presentations of stables. You've got the guys in Retribution who many people will agree with have been booked so up and down since they brought them in as Unreal. And then you've got the Hurt Business who 
especially in recent weeks, have been booked so well on that on Raw. And the addition of Cedric Alexander, I wasn't sure about it last week, but it works. Mm-hmm. He's he's already showing more personality in two weeks than his entire run up until this point. And like he said, like they came out to confront Retribution, all business, no taking still in their like suits. Uh, they took the jackets off and they ran out, despite the fact they were clearly outnumbered. Whereas Retribution, there are guys there who aren't even beating down Drew or Keith. They're all high fiving each other, like, yeah, we did a good job. Like, there's way too many of us than there should be. <laughs> yeah, I know, but uh, it's it's amazing that we're in 2020 and they've made something with Shelton Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> they've got Shelton Benjamin doing something great. I mean, I, I love Shelton Benjamin back in the day, and it's good to see him getting something on actual TV. So, fair play to him. The Hurt Business, hopefully. They'll continue to keep hurting people. Uh, I don't know where the hell I was going with that one. <laughs> that was, that uh, was poor. It was, it was, it was very poor. Uh, other things on Raw. Uh, Grant, I'll give you a flavour of this one. They're, the Raw women's title picture seems now to be Asuka versus Selena Vega going forward. I saw about that and I'll be honest, it's actually quite refreshing because... Vega has been a great manager, but I think it's time that she got an opportunity to kind of step out herself and stand up. And this could be a great opportunity for her. Even if she loses, if they can make her look good in a loss, it could really be a good turning point for her. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting thing I saw online. There was a thing, there was a thing, uh, was it Asuka took on Zelina Vega in a match in NXT before Zelina Vega was signed? And then after the match, uh, Mickey James came on the video to, and that's where it led to the Asuka Mickey James match at NXT TakeOver Toronto and then we had it on Raw there it was Asuka versus Mickey James and after the match Zelina Vega confronts Asuka it's like has somebody done long term storytelling in WWE recently? <laughs> Never <laughs> have, they ta- have they taken a lesson at the Gado handbook and like having something that's so long term that you might forget about it then suddenly that makes sense oh, I know it's crazy uh, Alan um Smackdown they're, they're they're making something good with Jay Uso potentially they seem to be doing a good job of him making him credible challenger for Roman Reigns yeah I think it also helps the fact that you know that Jay and Roman grew up together their families have grown that natural chemistry they know they'll probably know how to push, how far they can push each other physically as well as mentally and emotionally so it's, everything's written down to be an absolute belter I mean I don't think it's going to win there's no chance it's oh, going to win no chance, no chance but I, I hope I hope it's no squash I hope they I hope they do it right Jay looks good going, no, getting beat but give it a good rivalry I mean I could be down for a good rivalry I could uh, Day two going at it for a couple of months. I would enjoy that, um, but you know, we know Roman's not got the title to him. I'd probably Roman is going to drop the title for some time, but it is going to have me intrigued. And because of the, I think the match chemistry, I think we're possibly going to get an absolute stellar match out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scott, we know how you feel about the Usos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy to see a tag wrestler doing something while their tag partner's injured. Because well, they, that's what buggered the EOP and they're there gone. And that seems to ha- happen with a lot with tag wrestlers, like it happened with Revival. 
like at least the Viking Raiders are actually doing like Eric's still doing something on Raw now one that Usos is actually getting a singles push so like I don't know when he's on the side you know we can actually do something with the other member of this tag team you gotta think that Roman said something about it you gotta say he's talked about it he's got with him and Heyman you know you can make something of him you know and it's it will be interesting to see as you say I think it's a certain that Roman wins this match they're not going to have him come back win the title after a weekend and have him lose it to Jey Uso uh, so things are going to need to go with that one uh, on Smackdown as well can we briefly talk can we talk about the the, the seeds are truly now planted for Bailey sasha match down the line to David Campbell's dismay we only had one of them on TV this week but uh, Scott Bailey mm-hmm. uh, did a decent job on her own of uh, hyping this feud and it looks like that is not going to be happening right away as she has another a you challenger I say you you know it's not really you it's Nikki Cross again but I think they've advertised like a Sasha return a Smackdown this week and I'm hoping it's a case of like it, it looks like it's Sasha but it's really Bailey like dressing up or getting someone to impersonate Sasha because I think they can really keep her off TV if they want to take this all the way to Mania and keep, they should keep Sasha off TV because obviously like the whole putting a chair around her and then stamping on it in the past that's been used to write people off for months I think the fear of seeing you know, the online since that Mandalorian trailer came out Sasha appears in are they going to rush her back to TV because she's got this major acting role uh, which I think I, I could see them doing I think if they actually left Sasha off and have her come back to win like the Rumble to then earn the right to face Bailey, I think like if you could actually even have Nikki Cross beat Bailey, and then like in the last couple of months of 2020 have her trade the belt back and forth with Nikki Cross, so that so even though Nikki Cross will eventually lose the belt back, you've actually done something with her because like she's had a couple opportunities right now, and you can only like, lose so many times before people like why do they keep giving this per- person opportunities like. So when they had Humberto Carrillo challenge AJ for the US title like 20 times and then a further 10 against Andrade. Mm-hmm. And now he's nowhere to be seen. He's gone. I don't know where he's he went. He's in retribution, probably. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. He'll probably, like, he was he was sticking up for Rey Mysterio at one point and then they realised that Rey's family would do, would do a better job of looking credible at helping him than, his, um, than this professional wrestler who idolises him, you know. You know, Bob and Ray's wife swings a mean kendo stick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she would love in life, you know. Uh, uh, um, also, um, final uh, big point on WWE, guys, I'm going to go into then this week at time of recording. We will be seeing the return of NXT UK. Yeah, we've not seen NXT UK since before the pandemic. And they're coming back on TV this coming week. Uh, Scott they'll be filmed they've filmed these recent TV tapings in the BT sports studio where we see the Champions League football getting played should that should add an interesting dynamic to the product mm-hmm. yeah because like it's not as if WWE didn't have like places at their disposal in the UK they had that UK performance centre which if they think they, they were able to they could have done shows like, for NXT UK looks like how WWE did shows in, in the PC in the US and also now they've got this partnership with BT, so I think they're taking advantage of that. I think obviously 
Like they could have done empty arena shows with NXT UK, but I think the fact that some of their roster members got caught up with the speaking out movement, it was felt like to take as long a, a break from NXT UK as possible before finding the right time to finally bring them back. And from the matches that are being advertised over the next week or so, it feels like they're wanting to just like hit the ground run amongst the return, which is good because it felt like Takeover Dublin was going to like be another big change for them and like get people talking about NXT UK again. And then just the world almost came to a standstill, and they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think Takeover Dublin is still on the schedule, but I, Triple H has even said himself he doubts it's going to happen. Uh, Grant, one of the things they've announced for NXT UK on Thursday is the Heritage Cup, a eight wrestler tournament, which will be fought under British Round Rules, which is a an interesting thing to have as a tournament. We've seen British Rule matches in the on the product in the past and across various promotions in the UK should be interesting yeah it's definitely uh, it's definitely something that I wasn't expecting it was quite a, a surprise announcement and um, only confirming seven of the eight competitors as well so we've got a wild card that's still to be determined um, a few names might ring controversy based on current events but I kind of like to focus on one or two that I've not really heard too much too much about which is um, A-Kid and Alexander Wolf. I felt they were like two completely different choices, but both the ones that I think will be an interesting addition to the tournament for different reasons. Yeah, I'll, 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 I've always liked Wolf when he was in Sanity. Thought he was great in that when he was the Mad Maverick in that group. Did a great job with it. Uh, A-Kids was on the cusp of something when the pandemic happened. They had a few great matches with Tyler Bate. Uh, Grant, uh, you, uh, this is bad. I've not seen so, so much British wrestling. Well, I cannot remember for the life of me who his tag team partner used to be. <laughs> hey, kid, it was um, Carlos Romo. Um, oh, that's the guy. Uh, team, that's uh, Team White Wolf. Aye, that was that. Aye, they had the one of them wanted to say, the other one didn't. And Romo's been Romo's been about the place, but obviously, a kid signed with NXT UK. Uh, You've obviously seen some of these matches as well, Grant. So anybody who's never seen a British uh, Round Rules match, can you give a brief format of the, them? Yeah, it's such a weird thing, but it's like pretty much mac- matches will consist of the, the official rules that they've went with, um, which are pretty similar to the original style, is all matches consist of six three-minute rounds with 20-second breaks between each round. The falls can be won by pinfall submission, because all matches are two out of three falls as well. So these matches can be quite they can actually be quite fast-paced, but they can also they're, they're also a, a haven for technical wrestling, which is why I think Akid's going to specialise in this because he's had fantastic matches, including a five-star match with ZSJ back in the Indies. So he's very impressive, and I, I, this is definitely something that it's going to go one of two ways. People are either going to love these matches or they're going to hate them. I don't see there being any middle ground with it because mm-hmm. they are very very marmite in their style. Speaking of Marmite matches, um, Alan, before we move away from NXT UK, they've also, in the lead up to returning to TV, have announced the fresh women's title scene match that people in Scotland have never seen before. Uh, Kayleigh Ray versus Viper. We're going to see that on NXT UK. They've uh, they wanted to do it in March and they're still going to go with it now. Do you mean they've never faced each other? Shocking. How can that be? No, um, yeah, I think from a Scot. From a special Scottish perspective, considering we have seen it night in, night out, all over Scotland, it can be a bit 
it is repetitive. However, it's no disrespect to the two of them, that by the way. I've just oh, seen absolutely not, because I'm fans of both of them, you know, don't get me wrong. Um, however, there is a bit of Addy Spice, obviously, it's, it's in WWE, so there might get a bit more leeway to do things. Uh, obviously, the titles on the line. Uh, there is a big chance that I might mix up a wee bit. I mean, they, they've also tried to avoid each other since the Queen's of Insanity match, uh, feeling more than 11. Uh, or was that, it was 11, wasn't it? The Hydro? Uh, I think so, right? Yeah, so they've kind of avoided each other um, since then. However, I I just hope this is going to be a long, dragged out feud. So if it is, it's, I think it's going to lose people. Uh, however, if it's just going to be the one match that they throw you know, caution to the wind, it could be an absolute belter because they do know how to perform each other. They are best friends, obviously, in real life. Um, and when they do put their mind to they do put on a cracking match. So if it's going to be a one-off, I'd be quite happy to watch it again. But if it's going to be a feud, I'm probably going to lose interest in it pretty quickly. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. But uh, see, that's NXT UK. That's returning Thursday nights now. On the, I think it's, I can't remember if it's, what it's on first, BT Sport or WWE Network, but you can get the two of them on that. Moving uh, list. Sorry? <laughs> Network first. Ah, yeah, I've, I've, I've keep forgetting. You know, it's been that long since it's been on, you know, <laughs> trying to get back into this figure of things. Uh, moving away from the WWE scene, now we're going to go to AEW. Who, it's been a good week, actually, for AEW, actually. Uh, Alan, I'll go back to you on this one. Um, they're post, all, well, first of all, All Out. The pay-per-view got a good buy rate of about 100,000 buys, which is a decent for a pay-per-view in the current times. But the post all-out dynamite, with obviously got to take into consideration as well, no competition from NXT last Wednesday, but 1.02 million viewers for dynamite last week. The yeah, all-out did a great job. Uh, yeah, I think. All out, oh, pretty much everyone sort of agrees. It wasn't the, it's probably the poorest pay per view to date. However, it has obviously set up a lot of new fresh stories and so forth. Um, and uh, it is obviously credit where credit is given. It's fantastic to do whether there is competition on the same night or not. Um, that is a really good thing to do. So it also shows that what their storytelling, the way they're writing, the performances, everything's coming together and it shows that how good a product it actually is. Um, so credit to them and I think WWE will be getting kind of worried especially if NXT seen as the rival to it yeah well, well, we, well we we announced on the show two weeks ago well we didn't wasn't our exclusive before people asked we just I just saw it on Twitter and announced it on the show uh, NXT are considering apparently moving to Tuesday nights so NXT ratings have been quite good it was Super Tuesday you know they've not been over the million mark but they've been about 800,000 each which compared to what they were against AEW sometimes they weren't great AEW has seen a million things do you think for the good of wrestling having the both of them on different nights could be a, a, an easy solution yeah yes. absolutely both of you agree know. on that one there all these agree defos yeah, yeah, I, I question or asking someone specifically <laughs> oh no I was asking everybody about <laughs> definitely, a, definitely a brilliant thing because then people have got it's not the case of which one do I watch first it's the case of I can watch all of them without having to worry about do I miss one and, and try and avoid spoilers for the other it's a win for everyone mm-hmm. as much yeah, as people like, as much as people like the idea of a another wrestling war like there was in the 80s I think we can accept it's not going to be like that again so it's probably better for 
both companies to have both shows on like separate nights because you can see the results they get viewers wise and plus the booking especially on NXT's part won't be so like reactionary to whatever AEW's doing so you can hopefully NXT can get back to feeling like how it used to before they moved to TV and they went head to head with AEW mm-hmm. yeah definitely and Scott I'll go back to you on this one as there was one big uh, arrival to AEW that everyone was talking about this week we saw it all out that Kip Sabian announced that his best man would show up on Dynamite and it was Miro formerly known <laughs> as Rusev uh, he's he's here he's there he's he's Kip Sabian's best man but he's there <laughs> what's your thoughts I'm, I'm happy to see him back in wrestling because like, he's been doing a lot of Twitch stuff and he even like try to imply that he may be not wrestling and he just can spend his, his time just doing Twitch but I think it would be a waste if he didn't go back into to wrestling I definitely think a Miro Day shirt is coming very soon in AEW and they'll probably sell out immediately but that'll probably just be a sign that they didn't make enough because that's what Vince thought when the Rusev Day shirts sold out uh, I think also some people were saying oh, why didn't he go be part of the G1 I know you mentioned that as well Stephen but I think he, he does have an option in his deal to be part of Japan. I think he wants to wrestle for both companies. But obviously, this Kip Sabian thing would be probably a, a feature storyline where he'll be like maybe doing vignettes on a weekly basis and maybe get a few matches on Dark. I don't think he can really start this like debut on AEW and then say, well, I'm off to Japan for a month to compete in this tournament. And I'm hopeful that given like they're setting up for a wedding, this will give Rusev another chance to show his versatility and that he can be quite comedic uh, as a performer like one of his last like appearances in WWE TV even though it was part of a horrible storyline with him appearing in front of the green screen going "Tis me Rusev of Rusev Day <laughs> uh, and, and it's hard to believe that I think about a year ago he came out of a cake during Lana <laughs> and Bobby Lashley's wedding you know that was the that, that wedding was, that wedding was the beginning of the downfall that we've experienced over the last uh, uh, year or so you know. Who comes out the cake at Kip Sabian's wedding, though? That's the way we need to think about him. Uh, Are we God. suggesting that the Lana, the Lana wedding and that was what caused the Rona? Could this wedding be the antidote? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I know. It's, it, it's, it's something, Grant, but I know he, he's there now and he's, we could, it's, it was hard to kind of get him doing both, but it would have been so good if he just showed up in the G1, you know. Miro versus Ishii, Miro versus Suzuki. Battle lumps over each other, have a hug at the end, eat cake. Happy Miro Day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think as well, I mean, everyone's talked about how great it is with Miro being there. And I think it's great for Kip Sabian. The rub that he's going to get from that, because Sabian's already getting a lot of popularity. But pairing him with Miro, that could really propel him, that could put a rocket on him. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. I'm excited for it. I, um, Alan, uh, I was made to eat my hat last week on Twitter because before the sh- before the AW came out, I went online and said, "No way are they debuting him with Kip Sabian," and they debuted him with Kip Sabian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I, I did not think I lo- I'm happy he's there, but that's I hope I don't know I'm not sure about him being the backup man to Kip Sabian. It could be good, as Grant said, but I'm swirling on it at the moment as the partnership. 
Yeah, I mean... I think, I, think, I think they're going to do the whole wedding thing again where they're going to, I think he's going to screw them over. Um, I think Miro was a heel by pretty badass. I mean, he, he was a really good heel when he first came into WWE. The Rusev and, you know, and he was undefeated streak. And if they do something like that, I can see it really, really working. But obviously, with the, I, th- I think the humour aspect was really, really good with the one thing. I mean, yes, it wasn't as enjoyable, that storyline, but he made it bearable. His antics and stuff, and you know, he's so charismatic. I mean, that's a top guy, he's just that's a future world champion. And I hope AEW don't ruin him like WWE did, take the opportunity and run with him. I mean, for my money, give him the title, get him to go over Moxley. That'd be great. I'd love to see it, you know. So would I. I think it's going to be Kenny Omega eventually, but you know, yeah, the cleaner, <laughs> it's going to be the cleaner, you know. The brush will get the revenge. Uh, Grant, I'll go to you on this one because this is um, something we've talked in the past. We actually talked on last on the feature show last week about the AEW Women's Division and how it's been very mixed since the start. But two big developments I've seen in the news in the last week. One of the which, which I will obviously come to you on this, uh, Chris Jericho on his podcast says that after her match on Dynamite a couple of weeks ago, that apparently AEW has signed Serena Deep to a contract. And that is a fantastic addition because she is actually a good in-ring talent and also her training ability as well. Because if I remember correctly, she done a bit of training with WWE the Performance Center and helping them out there um, before she was released from WWE. And I mean, I still remember all the way back in the days when she was part of the Straight Edge Society. I mean, people sometimes forget how long she's been in the business for, and it's it's definitely a sign that. You know, as long as they can start booking things right, this is another example. They have a great talent available. Use them right. Make this work. They, they've got the talent. If they can shape it right, they could have one of the best, if not the best, women's division around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alan, um, we have mentioned this one. That's They've got the tools, as Grant said, they've got the tools there. They've got some great talents in there. We've the likes of Kara Shida's obviously the champion. Um, Chris Statlander when she comes back she could be a big star you know Britt Baker uh, Big Swole you know Diamante there's a lot of names in that division you know Tay Conte Anna Jay are doing some great things you know it's it, the prospects are right if they've got something in there and the likes of somebody like Serena Deeb who has been about knows their business can help coach these people alongside the likes of a Brandy Rhodes with the marketing side of things could be if this could be the behind the scenes steal that this division needs absolutely I mean, we've, I think we've all previously spoken, you know, publicly and privately. AEW's women division has been abysmal. It's been really, really poor. Considering how good the product overall is, and this could be the catalyst that totally turns around. Like when you think of WWE, what really turned the women's division was the four horsewomen. This is the this is potentially AEW's version, and I really hope they use it correctly because there is. And they have got some fantastic talent, and they can push WWE all the way to pretend they're the best women's division out. Mm-hmm. And Scott, the other name who's been mentioned in the headlines, rightfully so, in recent weeks for AWS, Thunder Rosa. Uh, Brian Alvarez from Wrestlers Ever says that she's apparently working a per date deal with the company, and obviously she is going to be on Dynamite. That's going to be on tonight as of time of recording. So. Do you think that we mentioned the cans 
7.8 billion fortune. Do you think Tony should just open the checkbook and just go, all right, how much funder? How much? How much, Rosa? I'll, I'll, I'll give you whatever you want. Get over here and help our women's division out. Well, I'd, I'd love, definitely love that. But I think it's the case of, like, he's probably still got some sort of deal worked out with the NWA, still being the champion. And I think it's been a major opportunity being part of the NWA first. I don't think she'd want to do that. I do like the idea of like Ivelisse getting this title show against her because, as I said on the feature show, like this tag tournament, yeah, you're bringing some new people, but like, other than a random trophy that we didn't see again, what are you getting from winning this tournament? So at least Ivelisse is one of the winners of that. Is he getting something from that? I see this as kind of being like, when you got to see the Triple th- A title being defended by Kenny Omega on Dynamite, it's like, AEW's not afraid to acknowledge other like promotions and I definitely would like to see more Thunder Rosa uh, if like eventually eventually drops the title on the NWA but then again being you knew when we talked about NWA horror and like Alice and Kay were really holding that division up so like yeah she can go and bolster the AEW women's division but when NWA start back up again what does that mean for their women's division? I know it's it's interesting it could go either way, but I would love to see more of her there. I would equally love to see them use a lot more of the women that they've got on the roster. They look like they're going to do something with Anna Jay and Brandy Rhodes, but that means more Brandy Rhodes wrestling. So, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, another news from AEW. Uh, it looks like uh, Michael Nakazawa might be feuding with Matt Seidel. If they watch the latest being the elite. <laughs> Naka, Naka, Nakazawa. <laughs> what a guy! Oh, God, I'm, 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 I'm skeptical when they do that whole take them out of their own product stuff. But I quite like that stuff. I hate Nakazawa. I, I hate Nakazawa. I hate him. I, I don't hate him. I, I just think he's a bit stupid. But that's just me. Uh, but I thought that was. I thought that was really good. I thought that was quite well done. The whole we have a guy who likes to rub lotion and lubricant on himself. This guy fell off the top rope. Why not? <laughs> Makes sense. The slip and slide. The slip and slide connection. That's the tag team waiting to happen. <laughs> oh, fair, fair play to them. And yeah, they had a, they had Brandon Cutler versus Peter Avalon on Dark last night. But let's move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it was actually decent. But um, it's, I'm not judging that rating on a Brandon Cutler Peter Avalon match until I've actually seen it. Which I don't know if I will. Uh, now, um, moving on outside of uh, the worlds of WWE and AEW, uh, Grant, this is uh, something that you've been quite vocal of keeping an eye on. Uh, the Ring of Honor Pure Title Tournament started this week. Yes, and I am absolutely buzzing for this one because uh, this title has not been around for about 14 years, but when it was around for the brief couple of years it was, it's only got seven title holders, but it's a pretty prestigious one. When you look at it, was first champion was AJ Styles, and its longest champion was one Nigel McGuinness for a total of 350 days and 17 defenses. And the only the only reason it it stopped is it was unified with the ROH World Championship to win Brian Danielson, and that was in Liverpool, England, in 2006. But I love this title because the rules behind it, the whole every match begins and ends with the Code of Honor handshake. They get three rope breaks to stop a submission hold and pinfalls. After that, if they've exhausted the rope breaks, submissions and pin attempts on or under the ropes by their opponent are legal. The whole pure idea behind it, like closed closed fist punches, 
are not permitted to do a punch. You get a warning, second, disqualification. It's it's technical wrestling masterclasses usually when these matches go on. They're brilliant to watch. And the tournament has got some real surprise entries, but it's also quite stacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Scott, have you kept an eye on some of these names that are in the tournament? Uh, I've not actually been able to keep up with Ring of Honor because, like, obviously so much has gone on in wrestling, but obviously Ring of Honor has kind of suffered but not been able to do shows up until now. I do, like, I remember hearing for a while about the return of the Ring of Honor pure tale. They wanted to do this tournament before lockdown. And it's one of those things you can actually look at the rules based on how this is almost like pure wrestling based like title. You gotta think like you want to wonder why didn't they bring this back years ago given that we are living in this like work rate era that's probably more perfect now than it was when it first came in. When it was first introduced it's kind of a shame that they ever took it away. Like because I remember watching that uh, Daniel Bryan Nigel McGuinness match and I remember it was one of the first proper indie matches I watched. Uh, when I started like, watching stuff outside of WWE and it still holds up, I think. You look at it, you got like the Jay Lethal, former Ring of Honor World Champion, and I really, and somebody like Jonathan Gresham, who's very like sound technically. He said you've got like some strong contenders, and I think we've also got Matt Seidel, who we just mentioned in it as well. Mm-hmm. Not facing Michael Nakazawa. That's <laughs> 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 opportunity. Uh, it's, 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 it's a terrible opportunity. Uh, Grant, we've mentioned in them privately that we say that Lefo and Gresham are the favourites in this one. The, we think they're the nail downs for the final. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely... You know, cause I, I, I still think one of the most gutting things was uh, originally they did have someone planned for the tournament um, and he has actually confirmed that the reason he's not in the tournament isn't because of falling out, it isn't because of contract. It is because he legitimately cannot take that much time off his full-time day job and that was Alex Shelley because he would have been fantastic if he was in it I would have had him and Gresham for the final that would have been class I mean we missed out on seeing Alex Shelley in Germany earlier in the year when we had the 16 karat gold which just got it through the pan- uh, the Covid lockdowns the last big wrestling event in the Europe we've had actually so that was a shame that we never got him there for that but he would have been fant- he would have been fantastic in that tournament uh, Obviously, uh, Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham had their first round matches this week uh, against the Dun- uh, Dalton Castle and Utah, respectively. Uh, upcoming later in the week, we have Matt Seidel taking on Delirious and an interesting match. I think it could be a wee sleeper hit from the tournament. Dave Finley versus Rocky Romero. Yes, don't mm. sleep on that match. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should Dave be good. Finley. There. There you go. I was going to say, David Finley is an outside pick, I think, because uh, he was in that uh, New Japan Cup USA tournament, me and Grant were in East Meets West, where the winner got a shot for the US title and he got to the finals against Kenta. And I think going into that tournament, nobody could have suspected that he would get that far because he'd spent quite a lot of time, like, either he's injured or he's in a tag team. So I think, like, David Finley is certainly praying for a major singles opportunity at some point, and I think this could be it. So I think. Like, I think he's out to say bed to get to the finals. Hmm. It'd be good to see him go that far. I mean, he was unlucky against Kenta. All caps. But... <laughs> Kenta. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favourite part of that show last week. <laughs> Just had him going, all caps. <laughs> uh, this past weekend as well, from the independent scene, we also saw the first of a series of shows from Warrior Wrestling 
held at the stadium shows. Uh, I'm surprised not many other independents have had the chance to do it. A lot of them probably didn't want to take the risk, but no, Warrior Wrestling held it their first of three, I believe, uh, weekender shows. Uh, headlined by Kylie Ray of Impact Wrestling taking on, having her first match since pre-lockdown, Tessa Blanchard. There's a controversial name right now, Tessa Blanchard. But uh, guys, it was a stacked card headlined by that match. Yeah, it was actually a really, really, it was a really awesome card. Like when you looked at the, what was they cleaned up for it. So, I mean, I've Warrior Wrestling. The first time I ever heard them was two years ago when I was out at Chicago for All In. They had a show that weekend, but I could make it to it, and it had a really ridiculously good card. So, I mean, definitely a company to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear that Tessa Blanchard's coming back like here in her wrestling again, especially after the controversial circumstances in which she left Impact. And it's ironic that her first match is against somebody who's currently contracted to Impact Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. This seems like her. Um, there was actually talk about Impact apparently released her because they believed that she had something lined up, so they just wanted to kind of let her go. Obviously, for reasons she hasn't quite actually signed anywhere yet obviously there's controversies that we had late last year earlier this year about what she does behind the scenes she's, we've seen she's got married as well during this time she's dropped this title this was probably one of the last uh, titles that she held so is there a chance she could show up at one of these big two companies WWE or AEW I mean WWE allegedly was in, has been interested in her in some time Although, considering how she left uh, Impact and then also the allegations that came out about her when the time she won the title, I think it would be, I think it would still be seen as a, not a wise decision for WWE or that to kind of like, sign her. And we actually look at the card for this Warrior Resident, there was actually quite a few uh, people we do see on Impact and or AEW uh, on the show. Mm-hmm. I think Thunder Rosa was on it as well, wasn't she? Thunder Rosa was on it. We had the Rascals from Impact Wrestling. TGP was on it. Uh, Brian Cage as well. His match with Ben Carter. Uh, Britain's Ben Carter. who's doing a lot of big things over in the States. He was on Dark, I think, one week, a few weeks ago as well. That match looked and, great. And I mean, to give you an idea, I'm looking at the card for one of the, one of the next shows in the stadium ones, which is on the 19th. We're talking that it's got a lot of AW in that, so to give you an idea, title match, Brian Pillman Jr., their champion against Warhorse. There is a tag match of Luchasaurus and Tay and Conte, these Crispy and Raylan. The Rascals, Miguel, Xavier and Wentz are in a triple threat, and we just mentioned a few of them. Gresham V's Alex Shelley. Wow. You, you, Brian Pillman Jr., who's somebody you mentioned there, I haven't watched like... I started watching quite a bit of MLW at the start of lockdown and then I got to see some of his work. The fact that he's basically been used as a guy to lose on Dark in AEW I think is a major mistake from them. And I just kind of wish he'd, he'd got more of an opportunity when he came in. You never know with Dark. They, they, they seem to be giving some of the guys from Dark a chance now in the main roster, uh, in the upper echelon. I mean, Will Hobbs, he was a Dark regular. He was a guy losing on Dark. Now he's he was in the Casino Battle Royal and he's now winning matches on Dark. So I would never rule out the, the things on what the, the happening. Brian Pillman Jr. is a good chance. Although they did use him in the Sabian Miro sketch as kind of a fob off. So 
and maybe show you what they might do. I remember it being said when when they announced uh, Brian Pillman Jr. would chance for the FTW title, even though it wasn't really official against Brian Cage, and the match went all three minutes. Yeah, you'd rather. You know, rather they use somebody like Peter Avalon or Brandon Cutler for that spot for a three-minute squash, but <laughs> hey ho. Uh, but those those Warriors wrestling shows do sound fantastic. Say, Grant, that's your um, pure title match, pure title tournament match, happening on Saturday. Uh, you've got that. They're like the Saturday after it. They've got Lance Archer v Rhino. Oh, it's, wow. it's it's like I'm looking at this, and, and there's so much talent, even guys that have started to appear at other places like Alex Zane v's Brian Cage. If, if, if you haven't seen Alex Zane, he started to appear in New Japan's USA stuff. He's going to be a guy to watch. He is incredible fun. Yeah, it's great. You know, that's, they're, they're available on Fight, uh, Fight the Fight app, so definitely if you like the sound of those ones, go on to them. And to round off the show, something which I have seen while we've been on air, it has been announced by Carol Anderson and Dirk Gallows that Talking Shop Mania 2 is happening on November 13th. Yes! Yes! Oh, happy days! Uh, they've announced it on the latest Talk, and Je- Talk is Jericho where Gallows has challenged Anderson to a ball for a ball match. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I need to see it. Like, like I, I don't know if either of you has watched Talking Shopomania, but the first one was so ridiculously funny. It was unreal. And they had Terry Long on it, so that, that's that's all Quacko needs to watch it. Yes, Terry Long got a good bit of praise on our feature show this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ball for a ball, you know. They had eye for, we've had eye for the eye this year. I think this is this, the direct quote is. Friday, November 13, Talking Shocker Mania 2, I'm announcing it live on Talkish Jericho, I'm coming for you too bad, it ain't going to be an eye for an eye, it's going to be a ball for a ball match, bury me alive, I'm going to rip your effing sack off. Please tell me this is on Twitter, you'll need to send me, I need to find this out, this is just brilliant, this is I'll, gold. I'll send, <laughs> I've, I've just seen the link getting posted about it online. <laughs> and on that uh, note... Uh, there's one other story I was going to briefly mention, I've seen it like earlier today at uh, time recording episode about Impact. They announced uh, officially their main event for Bound for Glory, which happens on October 24th. Will be Eric Young defending the world title against Rich Swan, whose career he tried to end after Slammiversary. It's an interesting way to go with that one, you know. Um, Rich Swan's always been a talented guy. Obviously, had the the reasons he got let go from WWE for mm. it. Uh, but he's doing he's done well at Impact over the last couple of years, and Eric Young's came back like a house on fire. So uh, it's an interesting way to go with it to go in the day too. It wouldn't be the main event I would have thought they would have went with this time last year. But hey ho, I didn't think anything what we've got this year's happened would have happened. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it just goes down to the story of Dolph and Slammers, especially the heel work of Eric Young and like him attacking Rich One after Rich One tease. Who's going to have to retire? I think it's a credit to the work he's done since he left WWE with Rich Swan, and that even before he got Lego, his kind of ceiling was probably going to be t- cruiserweight division, whereas here he's now a contender for their top title at their biggest show of the year, and he could potentially win it. That'd be something, you know. You know, I could definitely. Young doesn't need the belt. Mm. I'd definitely mm. be interesting, but it's, you forget Bound for Glory's happening, you know. 
Yeah, it's the 24th of October and something. Oh, not long away at all. And uh, Impact, also this week, um, apparently I've offered big money for Diana Parazzo to sign with them full time, as opposed to the deal that she's on the now. So, a lot of great stuff coming out of Impact Wrestling, and a lot of great stuff coming out of wrestling in the last week, because we've had, we went through an awful lot on this week's edition of ESSR Central. So much going on, and you say every week now, every Thursday you can listen to us go through the latest news, rumours, talking points, ball for ball matches here <laughs> <laughs> on, this, on this show. So but this is the first time you've listened to ESSR Central with this and our previous two ESSR Central shows are available on our podcast platform. Just search for us, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. We're on Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, all good podcasting sites. You can also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, where you can hear, see all the chat from us and everything that's going on. So we've got so much stuff going on on the podcast, not just ESSR Central, we've got ESSR Feature, which is a show going through various different topics from wrestling past, even wrestling present, wrestling future, as well as our other content going on, including Saturday Draft Live every Saturday, and shows such as East Meets West with Grant and Scott going through New Japan. You'll hear them more from them in, the, in a few weeks' time, well, the G1's in the full swing of it, so plenty of stuff going on from us at the podcast. So next week, we are got next week's ESSR Central as well as our next one from the feature show which I can't remember off the top of my head (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to quickly check before we go off the show it's one time WWE Champions is going to be on the feature platform on Tuesday and that will be followed by myself hosting a look back at NXT TakeOver Respect five years on from the show and then at the start of October we'll be looking back on one year of Smackdown on Fox but from this week here at ESSR Central I'd like to thank my panel first Scott McLeod thank you very much new quiz showdown out this week as well yes absolutely uh, Grant McRobbie thank you thanks for having me on and you know maybe this weekend in Rocket League we can make it a ball for a ball match on that <laughs> as long as Hockney loses as long as Hockney loses <laughs> and Alan thank you very much I have been Stephen Wilson, and we will all see you next week. Listen, cunts, I don't care what the f*** you think you're doing. Whatever you think is more important with your life, you honking bag of d- tips. You know what you should be doing? You should be going online, you should be subscribing, you should be listening to the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Whatever the f*** you're doing, that's what you should be doing. I don't care if it's your mum's birthday, I don't care if she's feeling contractions. Get on it right now! <laughs>